Thanks for tuning in to Women's Voices in Context. My name is Genevieve Gluck, and in this episode, I'm joined by Jen Isaacson and Hannah Borelli. Some of the recent events that we discuss include Baroness Nicholson's allegations that a gender identity policy on NHS wards has contributed to sexual violence against women. As well, we discuss the trans-identified male swimmer from the University of Pennsylvania, Leah Thomas. I explain a little bit about the history of the trans flag and the man who created it. And we also talk about some recent tweets from J.K. Rowling, who has been supporting detransitioners. Hi, Hannah. How are you? Um, I'm good. I, I uh, definitely got ill this week um, and I had a fever and I had a dry cough and I had muscle aches and I was exhausted and sore throat and the rest of it but I took three PCR tests. They all said I did not have COVID, but um, even, so whatever it was, but then I've been hearing things like, oh, you know, the latest strains, PCR tests don't work. But um, uh, even if it was a flu, it was very difficult, but I'm finally feeling better today. So <laughs> I'm happy to be here on a day where I'm not in pain when I speak. Because <laughs> that's what I'm like. <laughs> Always a plus. Yeah. <laughs> How are you? I'm good. Uh, I've been running a lot lately. So this week I ran 15 K for the first time trying to get up to a half marathon. So I'm a little bit tired, but otherwise doing good. Uh, Jen, how are you? I'm very good. I've not been ill, so (laughs) I don't have anything to report on that front. (laughs) Um, yeah, I've, uh, my sneaker reselling business is, um, continuing. So yeah, <laughs> that's my, uh, that's my project for the moment. So the first thing that we're going to talk about today is the gender identity policies on the NHS hospital wards, which have allowed men to self-identify into the women's wards and resulted in a breakdown of safeguarding measures. And this has allegedly caused uh, some women to be raped by male patients and then only to be told by staff that there were actually no men present in the women's ward to rape them. Um, This came out recently in light of Baroness Nicholson's comments describing one person that she knew who had had this experience and said that she anecdotally knows of several more women And this is related to a policy called Annex B, which is the gender identity policy that was put into place in 2019. Well, it's just insane that the Equality Act in the UK does not actually allow for this. And um, lobby groups like Stonewall and others have really painted the picture as if they've won self-ID in the UK to places like the NHS, really major organizations, universities, um, but by basically telling them in so many words that self-ID is law when it isn't. Um, and obviously they've received you know, criticism and backlash from giving that incorrect advice, but some of these policies like the NHS policy in 2019 have been written based on that advice, which is like, that's not to be very clear. That's not what the law says. The law says that you know, you can get a gender recognition certificate and we will um, create a legal fiction. So we all acknowledge that it's not real and that women have a single sex exemption to be able to discriminate on the basis of sex for single sex spaces. 
So it's not it's not applicable at all. It just does not allow for self ID or men in um, wards. The, the reality is, anyway, as far as I'm aware, on the NHS on in the NHS on the wards, it's pretty much all sex segregated care, any personal care, right? Um, not necessarily, but they make an effort to right. they make efforts that way. It's not always doable. So from yeah. from what I've been told, it's very yeah. much male nurses will look after men in a ward or in an area of a ward yeah and female nurses will look after women in another area because that's what everyone feels most comfortable with for obvious reasons yeah the men as well usually yeah, yeah. so all, all psychiatric units are segregated by sex a lot of the nhs's it's just always been like that no it's the it's the more humane it's it's a more humane policy well, it just it means that the staff nor patients are embarrassed about who's moving you in bed or who's touching your body yeah exactly or, or whatever it is yeah. and it's just so incredible that that this is happening and that that woman was actually told because they'll have thought that was a great yeah, get out clause they would have loved that. oh we've saved ourselves basically because we'll just say well there was no men on the ward like it's just it's so incredible that for a year she was just told, oh, you basically imagined this. Like, we've gone back to the days where, mm. I know it's always been around a bit, but where women were just told, like, oh, this is a fiction you made up, you know, this is um, a delusional fantasy or yeah. whatever. And she's like, no, I definitely remember. And it was definitely must have been a man. I was definitely raped. And they just said, oh, no, it's impossible. It's impossible you were raped. Now we're getting to that point where, you know, there's unrapeable women. Do you know what I mean? Like some women can't be raped. Yeah, a bad woman can't be raped, basically. And now it's a woman in the NHS can't be raped because, uh, yeah, there are only women on the ward. Well, no. According to Baroness Nicholson, the woman had come almost to the verge of a nervous breakdown um, because she was trying to get this investigated for a year and then told that it never happened. Um, but on Twitter, she's also said that she knows of several more women who had the same experience. I have been requested on a number of occasions by the noble lord, the minister and others to give them um, examples of what it is I am talking about. This is not at all easy because all the examples I've been given, I've been given in confidence. And whereas I know who they are, some of them are medical professionals. Some of them have already had their jobs threatened. I can see why they don't want to be known. However, a rather wonderful lady, I can't say who she is. She was raped about a year ago in a hospital by a man. There's only one way of having rape in Britain, and that is male on woman. Uh, you can't rape if you don't uh, have the structure of a male. She was raped. She naturally reported it to the police. The police spoke to the hospital, and the hospital informed the police that there was no male in the hospital, therefore the rape couldn't have happened. They forgot there was television, nurses, and observers as it were. Nonetheless, it's taken nearly a year for the hospital to agree that actually there was a male in the ward, and yes, this rape happened. During that year, my friend by email 
and it's all recorded. I know where the case is. I know who the police are. I know which the hospital is. I know everything on it because she's given me the full case to make sure I knew what she was saying and that it was true. During that year, she's almost come to the edge of a nervous breakdown because being disbelieved at being raped in hospital has been such an appalling shock. Now, the hospital, with all the CTTV, actually have had to admit that rape happened, that it was by a man, and therefore the police have changed their tune and have become enormously supportive and helpful, and the case is going ahead. But this has arisen directly from Annex B. The result of Annex B is that hospital trusts have informed ward sisters and nurses that if there is a male as a trans person in a female ward and a, and a female patient or anyone complains, they must be told that that is not true. There is no male there. I refer there to the duty of candor in the National Health Service and have to say, frankly, I think it's completely wrong the National Health Service should be instructing staff or allowing a misleading of patients, in other words, telling a straightforward lie. This is not acceptable. The National Health Service is admired globally and the duty of candor makes it absolutely imperative that the National Health Service should be frank and open and honest with the patients. Yet, trust after trust after trust has informed its staff that they must say the opposite to the truth when this situation arises and the impact on my new friend is absolutely appalling. I beg leave to move. Yeah, I mean, it just goes to show in so many ways how gender ideology is the perfect accomplice to mm. abusive men. Yes. Whether it gets you into a women's prison after you've been convicted of rape or whether it will help you get away with rape in the first place, just this thing of it, it, it moves your behavior beyond criticism or it disguises your behavior to the point that you're invisible. And it's really funny when we engage, it's not funny, it's- You mean funny weird, right? Funny in a bizarre way that when we engage in this debate, we're accused of being rape obsessed. And you know, you're always bringing, oh, you're obsessed with painting all men as predators and you man haters. Bear in mind, these are the same people that in like 2016, 2017, were saying, believe all women and me too and the rest of it. But anyway, we get accused of being rape obsessed. And I like, even if the, uh, possibility of rape was not on the table I still believe that women are entitled to single sex spaces and I would still be fighting as fighting this as hard as I am but the fact is is that rape happens anyway <laughs> like mm -hmm. the, the, it, what are we supposed to do not talk about it yeah like I think women are entitled to single sex wards because it would be more comfortable for them and it would like maintain their privacy and dignity I don't want to have to trot out rape either but it happens it does happen like what what are we supposed to do pretend that you know that men aren't sexually violent and don't take advantage of these opportunities of course they do oh, yeah, of course they will opportunistic opportunistic of course, of course. Um, well and this so isn't the first time either that a male rapist has been called a woman and under uk law as i understand it rape can only be committed by a man so it has mm -hmm. this effect of sort of undermining the law as well yeah. right so aren't aren't rapists who self-identify as women also being recorded as female Yes. Yes. And I think in some jurisdictions, I knew that was the case in Scotland. Yeah. I'm not sure what it is in England and Wales, um, in, in Northern Ireland, but I remember that was being a thing that four women Scott was very concerned with. 
I think it's happening here as well. And yeah. it, it is true that in the law, you only rape with a penis. That's right. You can, if you're a woman, you can like be in a company, like you can help rape. Happen. An accomplice to rape or something like that. to rape or something. Yeah, yeah, so it gets you a similar charge, but it's going to be interesting, quote unquote. I mean, it's not an experiment we want to run, but that if this guy is prosecuted, because let's remember <laughs> less than 1% of all reported rapes here are even taken to court. I think that, yeah, it will undermine the law because technically he shouldn't be able to be charged, but he has a penis that he can rape with and that's in the law, that that's the only form of rape. Yeah, and I mean, it just goes to show how how shallow people's, or people on the left, many people on the left, people on the mainstream status quo left, <laughs> how they think about rape and how they talk about rape is so shallow or sexual mm -hmm. violence or male violence in general, because the second it's someone who, or it's a second it's a, a man who's calling himself a woman or it's politically inopportune, they don't care at all. Like these people would also like to deny women who have been raped a place where they can be with only other women to recover from their rapes. They would like to force those women to be around men. Mm. So it's it goes to show that like these people are not very serious about male male sexual violence or recovery from male violence. It also shows again how gender gender ideology will just do the work of undermining um, any of the good laws that women have won. Like I That's think right. it's a really one of the few parts of English and Welsh law which is good, which is that only men can rape. But now we've got this guy, they'll say, oh, we need to broaden it, you know, uh, maybe, and, and we'll end up like Canada where the word rape isn't in the law and it's all just sexual assault on a spectrum as if rape is not a very specific, significant thing that expresses male power it's under a political, patriarchy. It's a political act. It is, yeah. yeah. It's a political act of male dominance. And I remember speaking to a... A guy used to be friends with about I don't know, five six years ago a marxist dude bro who's got a popular blog and a patreon on the internet and i said oh i think rape is only with a penis and he said well, i think a lot of feminists would disagree with you that's <laughs> that's what they love they love this thing of like oh no it's a feminist position that if someone just touches your knee well that can be rape because what it does is it disguises rape what rape actually is and how different that is and i'm not saying that say sexual assault isn't a big deal, but rape is life-threatening. You can actually be raped to death. It's very unlikely that you'll just be sexually assaulted to death, not diminishing that, mm. um, how bad that is, but it's, it's you know, it, there's always this game of like trying to pretend that either rape doesn't happen or that when it does, it's not that bad or that actually let's make it a rape a spectrum and everything can be rape because it's really just about hiding this very specific male crime that That's expresses right. male supremacy, um, you know, over women. Yeah, that's a, it's about confusing, confusing the definitions. And it's very difficult for women who have been raped in Canada, from what I understand, who go through with the prosecution to, um, and who understand their crime as rape and understand their crime as a, as a political act of male domination to have to not be able to use that word. Like you get corrected, it's not the charge, it's, it's sexual assault or aggravated sexual assault or whatever it is. And it is about obfuscating. They don't want to acknowledge that this is a very specific male act. I really hope she sues the NHS. I mean, I would never usually say that, but I hope she fucking takes it to some board of, some bureaucratic board of managers somewhere because it's just so outrageous the way that, I don't know why people 
are not willing to be culpable and responsible to a degree. I mean, I know that no one in the NHS raped her, but just that thing of wanting to say, oh, well, there were no men on the wall, so that can't be true. Like, it's just that thing of covering your own back. I just, I just don't understand it. Like, why wouldn't you be interested and concerned, you know? Well, again, it comes back to protecting men's feelings over women's actual physical reality, which is kind of what this all boils down to. I mean, who knows if they actually maybe wanted to say the truth, but felt beholden to the political uh, climate at the moment. That may have been a possibility. Um, You know, it it is really uh, vicious at the moment. So maybe somebody might have feared for their job upon saying something. Honestly, think people just do cover up jobs because they are they do fifth their jobs, but just generally, but it's well, they just don't I don't understand this thing of responsibility booking, but I see it everywhere. And I don't know why you wouldn't think, well, if this has happened, we should look into it and maybe it's happened to more women. That would be my worry. It would be, did this guy do this three times whilst he was here? Because it's unusual for a woman to go to the police. I'd be thinking statistically, it's likely that this happened more than once and that there was one or two women that didn't go to the police afterwards. It's also kind of incredible that, again, I've just, well, I've not been in the hospital for so long overnight, but how did he even do this? Like, where is there not staff around? There's always nurses like buzzing up and down wards as far as I remember when I've slept in hospital, but. Yeah, I don't really know the details of it, but I'm I feel pretty confident that those details will come out with time, um, especially if there's CCTV footage. But actually, you know, my heart just really goes out to that woman and, and possibly the other victims too at being told that this didn't happen to them or that they would have to refer to the rapist as a woman. Because what happens then if they go to court anyway, right? Are they going to have to then use yeah. the female pronouns for the rapist again? Like we've seen happen before yeah no oh, yeah they she will it's absurd i mean this, this is just crazy all right so let's move on to the next topic so we're going to talk about leah thomas who has been all over the news lately uh for winning the ncaa championship in swimming. Um, So Leah Thomas is a swimmer from the University of Pennsylvania who identifies as transgender and became the first male athlete to win a division one national championship in a women's sport. Um, He was previously ranked somewhere around the 462, I think is the number that I've seen when he was competing as a man, when he was going by the name William and is now ranked number one within the collegiate division. Uh, and his the competition that he was competing in uh, earlier this month at Georgia Tech drew in some protesters. So there were some women protesting, holding up signs saying safe women's sport. And during the competition, the crowd cheered for all of the women swimmers, but were either quiet or booed Thomas during the match. Yeah, it's interesting. We had, I remember we were having this conversation during the Olympics this past year with the weightlifting, weightlifting women. And um, we have, we have, we have a friend who was just saying people, it's unfortunate people don't care about weightlifting as much as they care about other sports. 
and they don't care about those women because generally they're more like gender non-conforming they're not yeah. getting like they're seen as masculine women they're seen as masculine women so they're not getting um like, like, deals with night well, maybe they whatever. should be competing with men look at them they're massive you know what i mean they're seen as like these like super women that can and, les- and it's very like lesbophobic yeah overtones, exactly. basically um, but what our friend was saying is all it will take is a sport that like Americans care about <laughs> swimming and sprinting, swimming, sprinting, um, football, something like this. And that's exactly what happened. It's just like, they were too cocky. They went with a sport that a lot of Americans are very invested in a lot of Americans with money, yeah. um, are very invested in, and it's just completely and totally backfired. Um, this has been a complete disaster for their cause. I haven't seen more about trans in the American media um, in the last week than I've had seen in years. Um, it was incredible. Tucker Carlson did a segment on it, which, you know, far be it for me to love a Fox News host, but he was absolutely right. It was a very good segment where he said, and he was using feminist arguments, which of course we will never get any credit for um, ever because um, the right wing like to do that. They like to take what we say and pretend it's an idea that, that occurred to them. Um, but he was saying, you know, like this is erasing the distinctions between um, men and women. And if you see a woman getting punched in the face by a man in a bar, it's obviously very different than a man being punched in the face by another man in a bar. Mm. And what the Democrats want to do is they want to erase that distinction. They want your moral your moral self, your conscious that perks up when you see a woman being hit, they want to destroy that. Like, it's just going to be open season on this issue yeah. um, for the Republicans, these next election cycle. 100%. And it's, and it's, I think they're relishing it. I think they waited a bit too long and now they're relishing it because they were so destroyed in the gay marriage debate. Um, and have had no, like, from what I understand from American conservatives is people have been too scared to even touch anything to do with sexual politics for years mm. because of how badly they lost the culture war around gay marriage, which they did completely. But now that and this then, is- And then once we got gay marriage, we had trans. Yeah. <laughs> once gay groups were like, we don't know what else to fight for. Yeah. Making uh, lesbians into men. Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> so, let's do that. So I'm slightly regretful about the whole gay marriage win. But anyway. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I definitely led to how we are now. But now that now that they realize that the public opinion is where they want it to be, that this is such an easy win. Um, they're really taking advantage of it for better or for worse. Yeah. Um, and Tucker Carlson is right in that I do think there's a lot of people that want to get rid of the moral idea that if two people of equal right you know equal same sex and maybe equal weight and age want to have a fight this is why in boxing there's weight classes and in the UFC and whatever and I'm not saying that violence is okay but yeah if you see two men having a fight you might say take it outside or people say hey you know they're having a row you don't immediately see it as abuse because it's that whole um Oh, Sarah Shulman says that abuse is not power to, it's power over. So when a man has the power to punch another man, it's not abuse. But if, when a man has power over a woman to punch right. her right. and she can't really do anything back, this is a very different situation. I do think there's people that want to obfuscate that. But it's also that they have to then live in that cognitive dissonance world yes. whereby they probably would recognise a difference in a, in a real bar. Right. But you have to pretend like you don't. That's that's, right. that's what I think ultimately the 
let's not even call them the, the liberal left, like the insidious pseudo left. I mean, who are these? I mean, especially the Democrats, like they're more right wing than the Tories. I find it so funny how smug Americans are and they're like, I vote Democrat. And I'm like, well, that just here means you vote for like the worst Tory possible. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and no, it's not even just the worst Tory possible. The worst Tory possible, it doesn't even acknowledge that sex exists, where at least the Tories here do. No, it's a very right-wing, very pro-war party. I don't, it's... Yeah, the Democrats are horrendous. Horrendous party. Yeah, no, it's, it's incredible that, but I also think it has to do with this right, the, the traditional patriarchy thing of male protection. Right. And that's when men like Tucker Carlson or Republican men are saying, you aren't saying that women are little flowers that we have to protect. That really threatens our identity. And I'm obviously against this kind of patriarchy as well. But it's interesting how, at least in that sort of patriarchal distinction, there's a distinction between men and women and women are allowed something of our own. Mm. Whereas the left misogyny is like, we just want to erase you completely yeah. and make sure that there's like a brothel in every union yeah. union office. So you, every... you can go to work ladies, but if you ever need an extra shift and a bit more money, you can pop along to your workplace brothel and have sex with your male colleague who gets paid more than you. Yeah, or, exactly. or rent out your body to a gay couple. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, or if exactly. you want, or sell your breast milk or do whatever kind of cutting yourself up or your, or your eggs or patriarchy is a system of male protection and male predation. And I know that the predation is what makes the protection necessary, but it's like the left just want a patriarchy of predation. <laughs> <laughs> That's it, just the predation bit. No, it's, I think it's, it's, it's get, left misogyny is getting a lot worse. And to just see that, is her name Katanji Jackson? Right. Um, the Supreme Court, who's a very oh, educated know. woman who I would otherwise obviously really be wanting on the Supreme Court. Um, pretending she doesn't know what a woman is and it just goes to show that trans is such toxic politics yeah. it's like it's also going to destroy this it cannibalizes <laughs> everything and is she, it, would she be the first black woman on the supreme court would she yes yeah so right, it's so it's ruined that as well it's going to destroy it's gonna ru it ruins that yeah. as well because it's just insidious and it's not really even this woman's fault i mean i know she's you know educated and an adult but this whole culture of this yeah. political nonsense whereby she thought no I, I need to give the right answer sort of by not answering um because i don't want to put a foot wrong here and this is a hot potato topic it's just it's just ludicrous because all someone needs to do next time is say well are you a woman and she'll say yes and they'll say how do you know and then they'll go, and then you can get into this stupid, ridiculous business of like, well, maybe they've been, uh, I don't know, like when they said about, oh, you know, there's never been a, a woman president, or maybe there has. How do you know? How do you know all these dead men's gender identity? And we can just play silly games. And it just, it just makes a mockery of politics and a mockery of wanting to achieve something. Like it really would mean something if she got on the Supreme Court. And instead, this nonsense will just wash the possibility away just so a man can like have his fetish. Yeah. Like this is all in service of like men, like having a fetish, mm -hmm. like this is the level of, and you know, it was interesting, like the whole sex positivity and pro pornography, pro prostitution, quote unquote feminism. I think there was a bit of, uh, there was a wave of it on the left. Mm. And I think that wave is abetting a bit. I think people are getting a little tired of it. I think Gen Z is like looking up at it and going, this is cringy and undignified and disgusting. I don't really want anything to do with it. Um, but it's interesting to see that this has been part of that fallout. 
because in the logic of sex positivity and in the logic of that pro-prostitution, pro-pornography sexual politics, it's male sexual entitlement is the absolute unquestioning right. Like yeah. you cannot question the right for men to have sexual, like their access. Ac sexual access and not even just sexual access with their particular yeah, kind of sex particular they, sexual access that they like so if you want to have a wank over like i don't know uh, an animal a dead animal dressed in a gimp suit yeah um who are we to say that's wrong you moralist stop kink shaming <laughs> or whatever but this is the, this has been the now and what and look what has been destroyed at the altar of that how many political organizations yeah the opportunity for the first black um woman supreme court justice what I found most disturbing about her comments is that she's supposed to be the defender of law. And what is law if not an objective definition? And if you can't provide an, an objective definition of woman, how are you ever going to be able to define women's rights? Yeah, I think she was probably, to be really sympathetic, she, she probably thought, Oh, I don't know. I don't know how, how to go into chromosomes here. I don't know. You know what I mean? If, if you were going to give a really specific answer, you'd have to talk about certain sets of chromosomes, like, and go all the way to like the intersex. She, I imagine maybe she was so nervous, perhaps. No, or I she, think she was absolutely terrified of the of your transphobic online and did okay. a cop out. There's no way that she was actually confused about everyone knows. I know, I know. But, but, but then when you think, do I have to really go into this, into the nitty gritty of like, who's an intersex female? Who's an intersex male? Da, no, da, da, da. no, no. She just was terrified of the backlash from, mm. think about who's in the Biden administration, that man who's oh, the secretary yeah. of health. Like she's just like shitting it completely that, you know. Yeah. And you know, it's the same here. The Tories here, because Twitter is just such a great dunking ground, right? That's mm. the whole thing. You quote tweet someone and you dunk on them and you make them look silly and, you know, it's very funny or whatever. They always now, whenever Labour will come out with this shit, um, you know, about not knowing what a woman is, they will retweet them, right? So this is like members of the cabinet and they'll say, do you really want to trust these people with your NHS? Because actually, if you're an ordinary person who who is far away from all this stuff, you just think, if you're such a moron, you can't, you, you're pretending to not know what a man or woman is. I don't want you, yeah, minding my pipe whilst I go to the loo. Like, I can't trust you with anything. I can't trust you with my drink, let alone going to trust you to run the school system or the health service. Yeah, exactly. Most ordinary Americans are not on Twitter like most ordinary Americans might be like, oh yeah, I have a gay cousin. I'm cool with the LGBT. But beyond that, they're not, they're not in the weeds of this stuff. Um, they're not thinking about it. And they just see someone who's going to be on their Supreme Court. Seems like an idiot. Which is a massive deal. Not being able to define what a woman is and mm. going, what? And I think that um, the Democrats and, and the Labour Party in the UK have really overestimated the popularity of these politics. Oh, Massive, so much. Massively so. Because politics is now they don't speak to no ordinary people. Like three quarters of people aren't on Twitter. Well, and also I think like they do surveys that are like, do you support trans rights? And an ordinary person goes, oh, well, yeah, I don't want transsexuals to like be bullied or have a hard time. Okay, sure. But they don't mean... Oh yeah, and I want you to put a, like a pervert next to my grandma in hospital when she's dying. Well, they don't know what it means. They frail. just go, "Oh, I don't want to. I don't want anyone to be bullied or treated poorly." So yeah. no, I don't. I support that. I guess I, I heard about a transsexual once. So. What one of the reasons it's happened here? I don't know what it's like in the states or Canada, but the political parties 
have needed the support of the third sector Mm. quite a lot and they have a reciprocal relationship so Stonewall was always known as a labor charity because they were really supported by labor and now they kind of support I know they can't put out vote so and so but there is a reciprocal relationship so and the third sector is full of this and it's just a bubble of overwhelmingly straight women and gay men those are very overrepresented populations in the third sector and I it's the same as queer theory everyone I've ever met in the UK that's doing stuff on queer theory is a heterosexual woman or a gay man and whatever whatever's going on there they, this the politics just ferments and then they look at each other and they and you know straight women or whoever it is think oh yeah well these gay men are telling us that this is what they want and actually it isn't what most people want. Most people are not beholden to queer theory or what Judith Butler's doing or what Stonewall thinks, but that's been the trajectory and they're so entrenched and it's really hard to have conversations with those people in that world because they just speak in bureaucratic speak and they just, the, the terms are so different that you have to go so far back to find any mutual terms whatsoever. When I hear them speak, I just think about meetings I've had in like a union capacity with managers or whatever when they're trying to off obfuscate what they've done to a worker mm. so they'll give like a very like a, a roundabout explanation and they'll give lots of backgrounds and you'll ask them specific questions and they'll give very vague answers and you have to ask the specific question again and again and by the end of the three-hour meeting you're like I don't know if we can end this because you still haven't answered any of my questions yeah, you're still not explaining why this person's being sacked and they'll and they'll go to like they'll start talking about kind of broader abstract contract concepts rather than specifics and that's what Nancy Kelly has done in every interview she's had mm. she's you know kind of appealed to these broader concepts of diversity and inclusion and equity and when we go that's fine okay but how are you going to accomplish that what does that look like in this specific case yeah. she's not able to answer the only time that she's been specific in her answers when she's worried about getting sued so she has to really clarify things like she doesn't think joe rowling is a anti-semite or whatever but beyond that she yeah. gives these very vague answers and it's HR, professional managerial class, bureaucratic speak. This is the reason why these people are like, like things like French post-structuralism or whatever, because he doesn't talk about material concrete concerns mm. of regular people. It's the professional managerial class kind of bureaucratic lingo. Yes. Yeah, I just wanted to add to that. Like, I think that the ultimate result of this type of language in queer theory is that it creates a dependency on the people who are espousing it because it bullies the listener or the reader into this dependency, this uncertainty. And so you can see that uncertainty being reflected in society and the policymakers who can't answer a single question because they're uncertain of how they should answer it um, because yeah. they're being forced to rely on these people in academia or or in these institutions who use this deliberately obtuse language. Um, speaking of, <laughs> I wanted to go on to the next topic, which has to do more with uh, the uh, fetishism aspect of gender or sorry, queer theory. Um, so I looked into the designer of the trans flag. So I wrote a piece about this for Redux recently, and I actually read his memoirs um, in their entirety, which I, I had thought was really interesting that 
this book wasn't more popular, given how popular the trans flag has become in society. I actually was really confused about this at the beginning, but then I started reading it and understood why, for example, he hasn't been invited to speak uh, publicly very often. So this guy, he, he goes by the name Monica Helms and he designed the trans flag in 1999. And his memoir is called More Than Just a Flag where he tells his life story um, basically since from childhood up until now. Um, he is a Navy veteran. So he worked on two submarines in the seventies and he got his name Helms, Monica Helms, the, the last name from a reference to Lord of the Rings, uh, which is one of his favorite books as I discovered while reading his memoirs. Um, but in particular from the outset of the book, he describes stealing his mother's underwear at the age of 12 and dressing up in his mother's underwear when they're not home. And now it's implied that this is for sexual purposes. Of course, it's not directly stated, but it's heavily suggested. Uh, for example, he says, I went into my parents' bedroom and looked through my mother's dresser drawers. I found several of my mother's cotton panties and bras the girl in the shadows, which is how he refers to himself, the girl in the shadows wanted to try them on. When I did, they felt exciting to wear. And most of his book is concerned with, I would say about half of it at the beginning, is concerned with his obsession with losing his virginity. There's two chapters that are just titled Women Troubles and then more women troubles, but he steals underwear from a laundromat, for example, uh, puts that on, uh, describes being sexually aroused by it again. Uh, there's a lot of detail about his sex life in the book, how in particular he, he first started dressing up uh, full time after visiting a drag club in San Diego. I was gonna say, can I point out a bit of these notes you've written, the bit that says, he describes himself as an enlightened being who's able to float between multiple worlds. Well, that's probably one of the reasons that he's not getting a second date if he says things like that to women. Like, what a nutcase. Like, I love this, like, it's just, just like sci-fi, like science, people that think they live in science fiction. Well, he's actually written a science fiction book of short stories. Um, by the way, his real name is Robert Hogg, so... He goes by Monica Helms now, but his actual name is Robert Hogg. And um, I forgot to mention actually, uh, during all of this, he, he married and had children and his wife was being subjected to this. He actually talks about uh, spending family finances on his cross-dressing fetish and doctor's visits and starting to feminize himself uh, while they're married. He, he also would attend what's called the Tri-S Society, which I learned about from reading this book. Tri-S means three S's, the Society for the Second Self. And he was a founding member of Arizona's chapter. And these were cross-dressers during the 70s to 80s who formed clubs that they would name after sororities. So they would kind of pretend that they were college girls they refer to refer to themselves as girls and this was these organizations were trying to get the wives of these men involved 
in supporting them in their fetish. So he was involved in that uh, very much so and in starting a chapter in his state, but also he goes on to say that after their divorce, so his wife didn't actually divorce him at first at all. He, he was the one who decided um, to leave his family and then pursue this full time. Uh, he divorced her and then immediately started going to sex clubs and engaging in orgies, which he describes as, you know, being, uh, he compares it to the Stanley Kubrick movie, Eyes Wide Shut, uh, saying that it was much more uh, wild than that. But, you know, he's got this imagination. Um, uh, He has this book of sci-fi stories called Tales from a Two-Gendered Mind because he believes that he's, you know, enlightened and has both types of minds, the male mind and the female mind. And several stories in this book make references to cross-dressing, forced feminization, uh, eroticizing lesbians, and then age regression. I mean, it's, it's just typical at this point. The typical behavior. I wouldn't, I wouldn't expect. A, I wouldn't expect anything less. The typical behavior of a divorced middle-aged woman called Monica. <laughs> like, <laughs> I find it so funny. These men don't realize like how male this is. <laughs> They're like, oh, I have two. I have a masculine and feminine part of my mind. No, you don't. <laughs> you so really, you really don't, don't have a masculine or just a male. You're like hyper, hyper masculine. Yeah, like this is, and that's what's another thing that's so like gay men having solidarity with these men it's like these guys would have like kicked the shit out of you in high school yeah like these would never be your friends these were like the hyper masculine army dudes who were on the football team who were horrible to you oh yes the the tri so the trias society i was looking through some of the archives of their old publications in the 70s and they argue on several occasions about keeping gay men out of the organization yeah. and keeping it heterosexual only. And one of the founders, uh, Virginia Prince, he had talked about basically stealing the tactics of the LGB movement to apply to their organization to try to get legitimacy. So in the seventies with the pedophile information exchange, this is, this is the section of the show called Nonswatch, right, Genevieve? Yeah, Nonswatch. Right. This guy talks about age regression, so. Exactly. I wanted to bring that up, right? So he has this story uh, that involves a child who, in typical fashion, is actually a witch who's much older than her real age, but she just looks like a child. But in reality, she's got a very old soul, you see. And the title of the story is called A Woman Scorned. And this girl starts stalking this guy, basically saying, you're the only guy that I can marry for some Zodiac astrology reason. Um, The guy character, the man in the story lives in Arizona, just as Monica Helms did, which he has these very obvious tells in his stories too. Like one of his characters was named after his ex-wife and he kind of imagines this revenge on a woman named Donna, which is the name of his ex-wife. But yeah, so this story is about marrying a child. Um, And then the couple, the man who marries the little girl, they have a daughter. And then it kind of chillingly ends with this statement that the baby has the same powers as the mother to always look young. Yikes. 
Big yikes. Yeah. The beautiful girl looked at me with her alluring eyes, she announced. All I want is to marry you. I want to marry you, wrote Helms. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, this is like you see this in the way they talk about themselves and the media they produce. And even someone like Natalie Wynn um, or ContraPoints on YouTube, who does these like big sets where, she, where he's, you know, lounging and he's wearing lingerie and he, it's all this like fantasy about how desirable they are. Mm. And they're always talking about, oh, they love trans bodies and there's so much desire for us. It's part <laughs> of this like insane, like fantasy about their about being sexually um, yeah. desirable to anyone particularly to women which is like the opposite not true. at all like I not at all it's really really but that's the thing that's funny is they'll do that but yeah. then they'll also moan like him that yes. they can't get a girlfriend yes exactly and so that it's... no you know straight women gay women no women want to be with them mostly yeah. the evil cis lesbians yeah don't want to and be they're, they're basically omega males complaining because yes. they don't have anything to offer women yes they're not attractive like i don't just mean physically i mean generally or in any aspect and therefore they are this is the whole incel thing right like so many of them are incels but but then they do this weird fantasy thing of like oh we're so desired and people are always sexualizing us it's like no one is sexualizing you people are trying to desexualize you whilst you prance around in your lingerie with yeah. your dick out yeah exactly no i know it's <laughs> and i what's really sad about it is, is i think it will occasionally work with a like I've seen this both in real life a few times and on TikTok of like a, a 18 to 21 year old young woman who is trying to be queer and progressive and has the colored hair and is quite young and naive being with a man who is cross-dressing in his kind of like late, late 20s, early 30s. And it's for her, she's thinking, oh, I have like a trans woman girlfriend that's so progressive. And obviously he's a man, so I could never say no to him. Mm. And I have a hard time standing up for myself in this situation. But I think it really does help them within their own like economy of the queer community find these vulnerable women. So he designed the trans flag as we still know it now with the baby blue, pink and the white stripe in the middle. Um, and he's consistently, when asked about the meaning of it, consistently said that it refers to babies, um, the traditional colors for babies, which on its head, some people might think, oh, there's nothing wrong with that. Maybe he's referring to like intersex or something. But once you start to read his science fiction, like I did, and I saw the age regression fantasies, I became quite disturbed. And even in his memoir, he repeatedly talks about wanting to be a girl, which is this kind of thing that you'll see in transgender erotica, where mm. age regression is very common theme about being turned into, not just being forcibly turned into a woman, but being turned into a little girl and having this fantasy of like a second puberty, which he also mentioned in his book. So in my blog, I, I just kind of pointed out and I'm not, you know, I'm not accusing anybody of anything, but I'm just pointing out that there's a very distinct parallel between colors that are used on pedophile forums and the trans flag. 
they're identical. It's the baby blue, pink, and white stripe within the symbols that date back um, and predate the trans flag, actually. I think it's interesting that he's never acknowledged. I just, I, I presumed that someone, I don't know, at a charity invented it. It was quite a simple, it's quite a simple flag, isn't it? But I wonder if there is a, a cautiousness about not wanting to acknowledge but then I imagine they haven't even done the research that you have actually by looking up who this guy is and what he, what content actually he produces and then what insight that gives us into him. Yeah, they, they do that thing that mirrors this, which is after one year of being trans, you have your first birthday. Mm-hmm. A friend of mine whose son, when he was about 24, decided he was a woman after having a a bit of a rough time his girlfriend broke up with him and he you know, couldn't get a job so I've, I've noticed this a lot that men after that something difficult happens to them and they kind of feel a bit like losers they think well I must be in the loser sex class <laughs> I must be a woman because no man would ever be as unsuccessful as me um, but he started doing this thing where he had his second and third birthday or whatever and it is it is very weird um, yeah there there is a weird uh it's not even just infantilization it's actually like direct from how you how you treat a baby basically these are very the classic babyish colors and you you know this thing about one and two year old birthday cakes it's interesting the second self society because it just shows how much men are allowed to reinvent themselves continuously. Whereas if a woman changes her mind on something or develops her politics, everyone says, oh, you're such a hypocrite. That's not what you used to think, as if women can't evolve and like everyone does. And I think it's interesting that you mentioned his spending because I think that's another thing that, you know, women are really made fun of online for say going to Starbucks, especially if they're mothers, because people are like, oh, Starbucks is so expensive, which it's not, but I mean, I get what they mean. You know, you could spend that money on your children. No one ever says that to men. It's just, it's their money. And men will spend their money in so much more irresponsible ways than women when they become fathers and they have responsibilities like a family. And it's, it's incredible that they, they will often do this kind of thing and no one criticizes. Sorry, go on. So in addition to buying women's clothing, wigs, et cetera, possibly even hormones, it's not explicitly stated, but it's implied. Uh, he was also spending family finances on trips to things called Holiday and Femme. So Holiday and Femme was uh, these events that Trias would put on where the men would get together their conventions and they would kind of like teach each other how to act like a woman. <laughs> Like things like classes about how to walk in high heels or uh, affectations that you should use, language you should use. I know it's all very much based on this 1950s suburban housewife style. And doing their mom, they're trying to be their moms. This is all psychosexual. You know, I'm not surprised this guy's born in the 1950s. Yeah, they want to exact, and it's you see the same with Eddie Izzard. Yeah, he dresses like how his mo- mother would have dressed. He dresses like a nineteen sixties woman um, when he was a child. Yeah, that's what's really odd is you and see. It started the- after his mother died. This stuff was started after. His no mother. way, really? Yeah. yeah, yeah. 
all these he just needs to see really to see a psychoanalyst that it's, it's, it's really odd when you see like a 19 year old boy dressed mm -hmm. like a middle-aged woman and not in a hipster way even right it's just like you know is your mom's skeleton in your basement kind of vibe you know it's really like boring like a boring middle-aged woman like a normal middle-aged woman's clothes <laughs> like librarian you just think wait what why well, this is so odd and yeah there are so many of them are dressing up like their moms yeah and i mean and then we're all and we're changing laws we're changing yeah, yeah. we're changing the law for the sake of these men it's just insane well they use the sympathetic character of right yeah of women and it's purely women that are struggling with body dysphoria yeah right so they take generally lesbians and gender non-conforming women that feel really bad but most teenage girls feel bad about their bodies they take that sympathetic figure right and we forget about them and then they but they use that as fuel then for their campaigns as if they're the same like as if these men that are always talking about oh, i'm so desirable and they wear clothes that are far too tight and far too revealing as if they hate their bodies absolutely they, yeah i i keep i think we might have touched on this before either either for an episode or just privately, I know that we've talked about it, but I, I feel very strongly that the idea of body dysmorphia is being exploited here and that it's a deliberate choice to use the word dysphoria different from dysmorphia, but it connotes that body dysmorphia, which overwhelmingly is experienced by girls and young women. So I think in some research from Harvard that I saw, it was something like 90% of uh, what's called body integrity disorders, BID or body dysmorphia was 90% of that was in females, right? So they're masking this sexual fetish by actually appropriating women's actual struggles and using that as their cloak. Yeah. And they're also using the gay movement in that someone yes. like Nancy Kelly, and she always does this thing where she tries to seem like the most kind of dollars dishwater person. And I'm sure she is, but she says, you know, me and my uh, wife and our two sons, and she kind of tries to seem like I'm just a mumsy, boring mumsy person. And I'm sure she both is, and it's also a bit of an act, that she tries to make out that then the things that she's saying about getting these men into women's spaces, as if that's as kind of docile and banal as yes. she is. So she's the cover story. She's like this Trojan horse, these let's be clear, just really gay, you know, boring gay people that work in the third sector that, you know, are just like women that wear cardigans or whatever, not gender non-conforming at all. They are then this Trojan horse where you just think, well, they, oh, this sounds a bit boring and dull and bureaucratic. And actually what you're getting is paedophilia and perverts who want to get into women's spaces to abuse women and girls. And the mutilation of women's bodies and On girls' top, yeah. and girls who are, bodies. Who are majority gay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the con conversion therapy of trans and children. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and it's really, I mean, I, I know we have other things to talk about, but I was watching that Inventing Anna series on Netflix as I've been ill. Um, and it's just, a, it's a really interesting piece of trans propaganda in it. And I often feel like when they, it's quite a feminist, it has some feminist messaging, some very kind of lukewarm um, liberal feminist messaging, but still feminist messaging about how there's double standards between how men and women are treated. And I almost feel like whenever Netflix points that out, they have to have a trans character. They have to have a man um, dressing as a woman in it. It was the same with um, the one about chess. What was that? 
they had a little they had yeah, a little bit yeah. trans character queen's gambit the queen's gambit they had a little bit trans character because they talked a bit too much about sexism so they really had to cover their bases so anyway laverne cox was in this um in this series and they paint him as like very has an ordinary job he's a trainer and he helps women get into shape and he's like just like one of the girls and he provides all this kind of like motherly um wise owl advice to women he's a magic mama he's a magic mama he like helps them with their problems oh i'll buy you a plane ticket if you need it it's like not even like a good male friend that I've had for a long time is doing this stuff for is doing this <laughs> yeah. stuff for me. It's just not how men and even women, the nicest men, even how gay men relate to other women. They would just yeah. not. They would help you move or something. They would they help do you something move. physical. That's the kind of nice thing they do. Would, would do for you, <laughs> but it's this idea that like they can also fit into a sorority of women. Yeah, it's this idea that we have a similar life experience or a similar. Um, set of values yeah. or a similar like um, set of struggles and we can have insight and it's, it's, it's just the not, media it's, lie it's, a, it's and, a complete and total lie and, well and I bought it for, for years really despite I'd kept thinking in real life why have I not met anyone trans who is either not a woman that hates herself and is mentally ill or a man who's a fetishist and pervert and I kept just buying this liberal media lie being like there must be somewhere just an ordinary trans person who just happens to be really similar to the opposite sex, cult, you know, culturally, whatever. Yeah. And then I just, after like five, six years, <laughs> nearly a decade, I was like, no, can't find them. <laughs> I'm just, I'm like, I was just like, I've met so many people who identify as trans, hundreds and hundreds, can't find them. No. And then, and I was like, it's a lie. It's a media construct. Yeah. That, and that, and that this like compulsion to cross dress every day is not pathological um for the men in their lives and doesn't come out in other kind of pathological ways and isn't pathological for their families yeah. and isn't it's not like these men stop identifying with other men and defending other men when they mistreat women mm. or that they suddenly by declaring themselves women value women the same way women value each other or devalue each other or whatever or have the same kind of relationship dynamic it was a very brilliant piece of trans propaganda, but I really think that's what Netflix is doing now is whenever yeah. there's a story about sexism, they have to have a trans character. Yeah. Really I wouldn't even be surprised if that was somewhere written into a policy. I would not at all be surprised. Would, um, but I wanted to come back to what you were saying a second ago, Hannah, about how women are being, women and girls are being mutilated uh, in order to validate the male fetish. And I wanted to bring up JK Rowling's recent retweets of detransitioners. Um, the first, so she, she tweeted a few of them in the series and the first, uh, tweet, she's got the name kind of blacked out here. We don't really know who it is, but somebody responded to her saying at 16, I was prescribed testosterone after two therapy visits. They didn't ask about my BPD or past trauma. I now have PCOS. I'm awaiting testing to determine if I need a hysterectomy or have cancer, and I will never be able to afford breast reconstruction. My consent was not informed. And JK Rowling said, this breaks my heart. I've now spoken to many young women who tell similar stories. I'm appalled that you were let down in this way by people who had a duty of care towards you. And then she went on to uh, retweet a few more prominent detransitioners de are at least prominent within the feminist community that's talking about this. So we had um, Helena and Carol and uh, Sinead, Sinead. Sinead Watson, I think, right? 
Yeah, no, it was, it's, and it's been interesting that this has all happened the same week as Leah Thomas, and there's been a collective meltdown on, from transgenderists over this. Um, and it's, there's a, there's a person um, named Professor, I'm not sure if you've heard of this person, Genevieve Kinnan McKinnon from York University. Um, and Kinnan is a professor in social work, I believe. Um, and Kinnan is doing research on the D-trans experience. Um, Kinnan identifies as trans. And so this is a woman that, yes, that's, this is a woman. that claims to be a man. This is a woman that, that's claiming to be a man. Yeah, I guess I shouldn't be worried about being sued or whatever. She can try, but <laughs> I was trying to not use the she, but I'm just going to refer to it as a woman. Yeah, so she's doing um, she's doing research on the D-trans experience and is trying to do this like, oh, but it's a gender journey. And when people stop medically, medically transitioning, most of them identify as like non-binary or gender fluid. Because they're embarrassed. Because they're embarrassed. <laughs> That's all they all do. They all get to 30 and the internet doesn't like women over 30. So you don't get as many likes on your social media pics. They're just like, uh, excuse me, why aren't you strapped to like an oven cooking and cleaning for someone? Yeah. Um, those women no longer get, you know, the validation they once got and they all detransition basically and call themselves non-binary because they don't want to pretend that this was the big mistake that it really was but didn't well, yeah, Kinnan McKinnon say well Kinnan McKinnon she didn't believe these stories that JK Rowling was retweeting in so many words like Kinnan McKinnon made a a very indignant TikTok that was just like J.K. Rowling is not the authority on a D-trans experience. She's not the gatekeeper. This person is saying that they had testosterone after two therapy visits, but the 2011 guidelines... WPATH oh, guidelines. The 2000, first of all, she um, um, accused them of lying about their age and saying that you must have detransitioned when you were 18, not 16. I'm not sure how she figured this out. Um, people all kinds of different information about their age online yeah. not all of it is accurate but also um, there are 13 year olds transitioning exactly um so she's first accused this woman of, of lying about her age and then saying but the 2011 wpath guidelines say you need three months of psychotherapy before you're allowed to transition so that's how we know all of these women are lying in so many words but she's she's words like recall bias um so I just commented and I was like, <laughs> trying um, to make it fancy, recall bias, like, yeah, trying to make well, it academic. Well, that's the other thing they do because these people are from the professional managerial class yes. and are academics. They try and like, they do that very dishonest, very bourgeois thing of like um, dressing you, up their accusations yeah. and using, using language. snotty language so that normal working class people feel like they can't challenge them. I that's see right. it all the time that's in right. academia. And it's right. always done by thick people yeah. who are of the professional managerial class because yeah, they right. were born into it usually. And it's done so that you're, you don't, you don't actually want to be clear right. and you, but you want to be unchallengeable. Right. So she called it recall bias rather than lying. And so that I just said, well, how are the WPATH 2011 guidelines enforced? Is it like if you give a, a girl testosterone without three months of psychotherapy, someone will come put you in jail or what? And then she said, oh, well, you know, you could be sued for malpractice. And I just said, well, how many doctors have been sued for malpractice for giving teenage girls double mastectomies and testosterone? Um, and then she said, well, how many 
gender affirming practitioners do you know personally? And I was like, um, I mean, I've actually known a couple people who've worked in and around it, but like, you're the expert here. You're supposed to have a PhD yeah. in transgenderism. I'm trying to ask you. Yeah. Um, so they're, they're having a collective meltdown, but it's very interesting to see the parallel kind of to the outside world that's, oh no, everyone who transitions is 18 and is psychologically healthy for inside the trans community. It's like, oh, you think you're trans at nine years old? We need to make sure we put you on puberty blockers and yeah. mutilate your And genitals. fuck those gatekeepers. Fuck if your mom says, maybe you want to wait until, uh, I don't know, your crisis at school is over before you make any major life-changing decisions. Maybe you're upset about something else. My 12-year-old daughter, uh, she's just a gatekeeping bitch. Yeah, exactly. Because that's the thing that's so funny is they for years said, oh no, there should be no gatekeeping and there that's should right. be what there is in San Francisco where you can just walk into a clinic, maybe you have to sign something like that you won't sue them and then you can stick testosterone in your arm. So given that that's the reality, but then but then to, yeah, to try and seem, um, again, it's like to try and seem uh, respectable. Yes, yeah. And to people who are outside the group, they'll say, they'll pretend those clinics don't exist. They'll say, oh, but the WPATH guidelines, as if, as if these aren't more than just recommendations that are ignored. I just want to say something that I haven't really said before because I wanted to write up a bit about this in more detail. But basically, I was in a Discord server that targeted trans teens and it was being run by a gender clinician. And in this Discord server, they were giving tips on how underage, uh, well, minors basically could get a hold of cross-sex hormones and were even recommending things like getting a P.O. box and then crowdfunding online to get the money. So using a P.O. box, you would be hiding it from your parents. Um, and then they also provided several links to illicit sites, for example, sites in Thailand that will sell hormones online. Um, so regardless of the things that are going on publicly that we can see on TikTok, there's so much more under the surface that we're not seeing at all because it's going on in private messaging applications like Discord. And we're not even going to be have any way of tracking that until, I don't know, until um, somebody exposes it or until Discord is held responsible for some of this illegal behavior. So. It's like Dr. Helen Weberly, when she was in the UK, was selling, I think, testosterone to 12-year-olds over kind of Zoom consultations. And all she did, she eventually moved to Spain and just said, you know, as, uh, basically tried to muddy the waters by it being and then an, in, an international law discrepancy. Do we apply the law in Spain? Do we apply the law in the UK? Which one's which? She's out of the country. Suddenly she feels much less accountable um, for anything that has gone on. But yeah, these, these things are just so, there's like layers of. But I just find it incredible because people like Kenan McKinnon and other, or people like Jack Turbin, or, you know, a lot of these people who work in and around the gender industry want to go to dinner parties with other people, the professional class and talk about what they do and want to go, oh, that's so progressive. Oh, that's so interesting that you, oh, wow, how cool for you. But what would really, but the, what they don't, they don't want the seedy underbelly of what they're doing to be so, exposed exactly. to their, their peers of their class, basically. They don't want the other lawyers and the doctors and the barristers and the people that they're trying, that they're in with to go, oh my God, you're cutting off the breasts of 12 year olds. 
So for the public, it's one thing when they're in their own communities and they can talk about um, castrating like 13 year old boys or whatever other sadistic heinous shit they want to do they'll do it completely openly mm. but especially now that there's been sunlight put on this whole thing through yeah. through joe rowling and other people they're having a meltdown that their kind of grift is over yeah because so much of this is also a grift yes and it's like it's a like that man who um on reddit um who was in the reddit who worked for reddit and then you weren't allowed to mention his name on reddit because he was actually a pedophile what was his name? wait is that the green party guy the green party guy yeah amy challoner amy challoner that's it the fact that amy challoner was able to bounce from one political party to the other just by being a trans youth or whatever mm-hmm. like was with the lib dems it gave him such it. currency because and again like i'm not this isn't meant in a classist way i'm from a you know lower class background myself but the guy you know he didn't even have GCSEs he was from a very peculiar family social services were constantly involved he was not even from the middle class right right? and let's be honest really when we say professional managerial class they're just part of the what we call the petty bourgeoisie right and they identify with the the rule the ruling, the ruling class. class they want to ingratiate themselves to the rich because that's also why they're shitting themselves yeah. is that they want to ingratiate themselves to the upper echelons of power and they're seeing that actually some people are concerned there's probably even some people quietly concerned i think hillary clinton is one of them i mean let's be clear the woman is a a, a hawk right she's like a war machine in one person but i think yeah. but she has clout in the democratic party and yeah, she's clearly concerned um as are probably others and what they're seeing is that if those cracks start to appear too much they're not going to have the future that they thought was possible which was the kind of second homes multiple new vehicles you know money for life academic jobs and um, you know, MP positions and conference. plenary speaker at several conferences a year where like Judith Butler, you get to go to these international conferences and shag postgraduate students in your hotel, all these kind of things that they, they really desire. Uh, they're getting a bit panicked about it. So it's partly interesting to see how they double down, but the, the, the extremes they go to when they say, no, this isn't happening. It's three months psychotherapy when they don't even agree with that. Like, not only is that not happening, how should we wrap up something positive? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we could. But yeah, I really feel like um, that. So, so Amy Chandler is a good example of how much currency trans Amy gives. Has, yeah. This guy ran for deputy leader of the Green Party at age 20. You know, that might be, ex- that that kind of thing would be expected of someone who was from money, went to Oxford, was incredibly politically talented, and then had the confidence and guts because they'd always had a life where people had praised them and emboldened them. That's the kind of 20-year-old I'd I'd expect to potentially ever run for the, you know, deputy leadership of a political party aged just 20. But this guy did it because he just had this, this huge currency behind him. Despite the fact, I mean, the guy just looked like the biggest creep, was clearly odious, was a real lump, a real turnip of a person. And, <laughs> and you know, had no, didn't have any qualifications, didn't have any life or work experience. And yet the Green Party, because of how much they had gassed him up, he went ahead. Then when he left there, he went into the Lib Dems and again was ingratiated. And then he got a job, a good job at Reddit. Yeah. And you and you just think like how much, like how many open uh, it opens doors for you. Completely. And these people like Kinnan McKinnon are very worried 
um, because they've never had doors closed before That's right true. like when you're a normal world-class person like I've been fired by from so many jobs unfairly fairly whatever these people have never really heard a no or had things go wrong and they can see the future where they might be a pariah even for the evening a dinner party they cannot comprehend it that's right so they're all having a collective meltdown um but on a positive note <laughs> no pause on yeah, a positive, positive note, note i'm really i'm you know i'm i kind of made that thing about oh right-wing people using feminist language um but i am a part of part of me is really glad to see a, people asking the question what is a woman yeah and i'm really and i'm really grateful that um so many things have coalesced in one week basically and um obviously i'm i'm devastated for the women in in on the penn state swim team and for women swimming in general um i'm really horrified by um everything that's happening in women's sport but it is it is good to see that there has been this response and that mm. the, i feel like the voice of the american people is enough is enough um and i i, th I think that we're going to probably see some kind of sea change it's possible things will get worse before they get better um like they'll do some digging like some um digging their heels in and making things worse before they get better but um i am grateful to see like radical feminist arguments being used like what tucker said as much as i'm annoyed that it was tucker carlson that said it about the inherent power differentials between men and women um and how men and women are distinct classes and how there are um, there is a, a power dynamic there that we that needs to be managed in public policy and in law and in public life. Yeah, These he, are feminist arguments, and I'm really grateful that they're being heard by this kind of wider audience, if not yeah. from actual feminists. Well, but, I'm just glad whenever uh, anyone uses our tools and our language, because I want total political hegemony. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like I want feminist arguments to become the arguments that the average person in the street uses. And Tucker Carlson was very, you know, his, what did he say? He was like, we should be equal, though we're different. Yeah, he said we're equal, we're, like, he's like, we have the same, like, I think he's been reading Karadansky's book, actually, right. probably where he got it from, but he's like, we're equal in dignity and worth, but we're very different yeah. in many ways, which is exactly and what different people have different needs and different people have different should needs. compete in different, you know, weight and sex classes in boxing. <laughs> <laughs> I just yeah. want to say uh, one thing to end on, um, which is, you know, part of me has been a bit frustrated with the amount of attention that's placed on the sports aspect of everything when there's so many other pretty serious issues going on, like the detransitioners, as well as, you know, the uh, male rapists in women's prisons that I just think really doesn't get talked about enough. And, you know, I, I understand the appeal of sports. I also understand that these are young women in Ivy League universities. So there's a bit of that class element as well. Um, but I do hope that it will return back to focusing on women and women's health and women's safety, uh, not only the sports angle. And so I was really pleased with JK Rowling's recent just series of tweets, just giving no fucks <laughs> and retweeting detransitioners. Um, so I think that that brings the light back on to the, the harms, the physical harms being done to women. Yeah, absolutely. It's a great coalescing of events really that um, the sports thing has brought attention to the issue in general. And I think has given 
some permission for ordinary people to speak about this topic at all. Mm. And then you have um, JK Rowling retweeting people like Helena who wrote a really excellent piece about, about internet culture and about, about transition and how this stuff feeds into each other. And I think that we're, we're gonna see this become more of a, a linchpin issue. And I think that there was a kind of a, the height of teenage girl transitioning from my completely anecdotal observation it's probably between um 2015 to 2018 <clears throat> and those women are now getting getting older and and realizing the medical consequences of what's been done to them and um I think we'll be seeing a lot more and this conversation is going to continue and um I think there'll be a lot of very embarrassed people on the other end of it yeah honestly Thanks again for tuning in. If you have any suggestions for what you would like to hear us discuss in upcoming episodes, you can contact me on Twitter at WomenReadWomen. Also, if you enjoy what we're doing here with the news commentary, please do subscribe as your support means a lot to us and keeps us motivated.